Hi there. I'm Michael Marvash, and this is The Dead Man's Forest, a mostly weekly conversation about existence, meaning, and the unique lessons that each of us has to share with the world. This week, I am sharing with you the remainder of my conversation with Nancy Buffington. If you listened to last week's recording, DMF 21, you would have heard that she is a woman who wears many hats, and over the past 12 years or so has struggled with reimagining her life from being a intellectual, non-emotional academic to being a vibrant woman who has, in her own way, taken back control of her life. At the end of last week's conversation, we were talking about fear and how fear can be an indicator to us of the things that we need or the things that will be valuable to us. I had just mentioned how the idea of facing and overcoming your fear in order to grow or to obtain some goal or treasure is such a common theme in so many of our folktales and myths. And this is what Nancy had to say about how fear has played a role in her life. And that goes back to actually very early for me. It goes back to being having a lot of anxiety from the time I was, you know, 12 or so, being scared of everything. Like after I saw Jaws, Jaws came out when I was 10, and my best friend loved it. So I saw it four or five times in the front row. And I was so afraid of water that I didn't even want to sit on the toilet to pee. I mean, honest, I, I was that scared of water at that point. And, and that's just one example. And then in my graduate work, to, to go back to, you know what? Let's figure out why I was afraid. Let's figure out why anyone's afraid. And how do we do that to each other? So my master's and then to an extent my uh, PhD dissertation it was about horror. And, and um, once I could take that turn and look at it and understand it, that was, that was pretty powerful. But then I had to take the extra turn of making it not just an intellectual thing, but a full body, what do I do with myself kind of a thing. And that's where that, that later kind of messiness came in. But, you know, fear is a, it's a great teacher. It absolutely is. And uh, I, you know, while I still, you know, there are times when I'm like, yeah, I'm feeling too anxious. This is not good. Feel nauseous today. Uh, I just have to pause and go, okay, body, thanks for the information. This is really helpful. Thank you for communicating with me. Now let's figure out what this is and what I can do with it. Our discussion of fear reminded Nancy of her father and her relationship with him and the role that that has played in her life. It sounds like he was a man who, like all of us, lived with fear, but worked very hard to face it and overcome it, to live with courage. Well, um, my, I was very, very close to my dad. Um, I, I was the youngest of four. And I, my dad had realized, you know, after one boy and three girls, he wasn't going to get any more boys. So I was his little sidekick, and I did everything with him. We really were very close. And he died um, last March, so a year and a half ago, basically. 
And, um, and it was, well, I knew he was going to die, but it was still really hard. And, you know, I was holding his head when he died and that was the first person I'd ever actually watched die. And it was, it was hard. And, um, and we were sitting around in his house in Tucson after he died. And we were looking at the, I don't know whether it's called advanced directives or whatever. It wasn't a living will, but it was this 24-ish page booklet that they have that seniors often fill out. And it has to do not just with, you know, do you want to be resuscitated, but, you know, what do you want to have happen? What do you want to say? What do you, you know, this is like your last chance kind of to, to have a semi-official document say some things. And probably because when most people are filling this out, they don't have a lot of energy. Um, this is set out their, their questions and things to read and then areas where you can write, but also check the box yes or no, or, you know, that kind of a thing so that you can conserve your energy. And so in this, I'm, I keep calling it a 24 page booklet, so I'll keep going with that. In this 24 page booklet, everything, he had written his name and everything in the front, but but he just did check marks everywhere else, right? So I could see that he had been getting pretty tired by the time he filled this out. So it was yes to this, no to that, yes, want to be cremated, you know, no to this. And then the only place where he took the time and made the effort to write with his cute little handwriting that I used to forge so well when I was a teenager was um, it said it was the question was, how do you want people to remember you after you die? And and he, he he took the time to write this phrase or this sentence. He said, I want to be remembered as someone who lived life to its fullest. And uh, I just got, you know, chills when I looked at that. And I felt so close to him. And and it's really true. He really he had his own complexes. He was born in 1930 in a Kansas farmhouse, if that gives you an idea. But um he traveled the world. He he went to Africa four times the year after he had a heart attack that was supposed to kill him. He didn't stop. And he loved people, loved people all around the world. And he would stop and chat with anybody. And he had his fears, but he absolutely worked through them because being connected with people was more important than anything to him. And so, so I took a picture with my little phone of, you know, that little piece that he wrote, and I still have that with me. And then I also wrote that, and I have that on a, just a little post-it that's on my fridge at home next to his picture with an African beer. <laughs> um, and I look at it every single day. And well, on the, on the one hand, I remember the day after he died, I looked out. He lives out, lived out in the desert. Um, like 20 miles outside of Tucson, so unbelievably beautiful. And I looked out at these hills that I had known for 30 years since he moved there, and I thought, okay, he can't see anymore, he can't take walks anymore, he can't hear anymore, but I'm going to use my eyes, you know, and my ears and my legs. I'm going to move through the world yeah. experiencing these things because my dad, as, as, as the ambassador of my dad, I'll say that. And then, of course, since then, I've realized, yes, that and I get to do that for myself. Yeah, you're living his legacy in your own way. Right, right. And uh, so that's very important to me. But I think also taking that step to realize I'm not doing it merely for him. Again, that's still living for someone else. And he's like in my back pocket always, you know. 
but I'm really doing it for me. And, and the more that I can do these things for myself, the more I can share the joy and the strength and the wisdom and the support for people in my life. Beautiful story. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. After Nancy had shared all of these things about herself, I found myself very curious about how she looked at what was ahead of her. And so I asked her what was next. And what jumped out at me in re-listening to how she answered that question is the sense of joy that infused all of the thoughts that she has about what she's doing and what she's planning. And I love how fearlessly she shares her ideas about her interests and activities, how, how she seems to have overcome any fear of how people may respond or judge, and that enables her to truly be herself. I hope that you find Nancy's future plans as interesting as I did. Let's listen. What's interesting is that I, what I see now, what I've learned since I quit academia, and you know now I own my own business, and so that's both wonderful and joyful. Uh, I am sort of in control over it in that, yeah, I make my own decisions, and that sense of choice is incredible. Um, and yet, because I get excited about a whole lot of things. <laughs> I love the ideation phase and I love, yeah, let's do that. And then I'm like, oh crap, really? There's like details and logistics on the other end. Um, what I have seen, I'll, I'll answer that in two ways. One in a more abstract way and then in a more concrete way. In a ab more abstract way, what I have noticed about myself is that I'm kind of like the ocean in slow motion. I ebb and flow. And so I will get more and more excited about more and more things and get myself centrally involved in things until I'm, I'm very joyful. And that's a huge difference from what my life used to be. And yet I can really deplete myself so that, you know, I don't get enough sleep. I don't get enough downtime. I don't get enough food or even enough water sometimes. And, and well, I, I know that I have made those choices and that's really important and I'm accountable for them. I, you know, at some point I need to, I've lost a sense of balance again. And so I think I'm in my fourth or fifth cycle since I left academia of going, okay, I'm kind of at my max now. I need to just sort of look at all these projects and look at the scope of them and figure out where do I call, do I take some things out entirely or do I just be a little bit more measured and quote unquote reasonable about them? Uh, what do I really want? So I, so I'm used to that ebb and flow now, and I'm kind of going through one of those other, um, the, the process of sort of sorting things out. And then, um, so that's the less tangible way. The more specific tangible thing that maybe I'll commit, uh, clearly, like, this is going to be a little bit more than you and I, maybe three more people or something. Um, this helps me kind of like, okay, let me put it out there. Um, Possibly. The thing that really gives me joy in the next five years, uh, well, there's two. One is singing, and I had no idea that I could sing. I sang in the shower for 25 years, was told by various, you know, 
siblings and old boyfriends, etc. Like, please don't sing around me. It turns out I really sing well, <laughs> and I'm getting a lot of recognition and some interesting opportunities that, whoops, lost my earbud. The may or may need not lead to fame and glory and all that. I don't expect to be Beyonce, but I I now feel like, well, heck yeah, I'm gonna take advantage of any opportunity I want. Um, and and uh, say yes to recording my new song in an LA studio with all these famous musicians, and say yes to you know playing with this band and that person. Why not? And just explore and see where it goes. Because I don't know where the end is unless I push up against it. Yeah. And so that's a, a wonderful thing that just gives huge joy to my life. And honestly, if I could quit all my day jobs and just sing, I would do that. Unfortunately, I do have the mortgage and all. But um, the other the other sort of concrete thing that I haven't acted upon yet, but is giving me a lot of joy and hope for the next five or so years is going back to this sense of that I developed at Stanford and actually early in my graduate work related to the carnival, which is the idea of play. And what I realized when I have been, what I do when I get in this overstretched, overextended period is I go, Okay, what am, what am I really about? What do I love to do? Where are those moments of flow for me where I'm just completely alive and happy and I have no pit in my stomach, you know? And that is when um, it, it comes from play myself and it comes from helping other people get into that mode of play, something that I denied myself for, you know, 30, 40 years. And, and I know how it's transformed me. And what I realized was that while the, the fronts of my business and the, you know, my, my expertise, as it were, is about communication and public speaking, at the core of my absolute joy for that lies um, the sense of, of play and freeing up the ways that we think and act in order to then access our best selves. So... So it could be that in the next five or so years, I'm thinking, hey, you know what I want to do? I want to become one of the world's experts on play because I have the academic research. I have some decent contacts and I already incorporate a whole lot of pretty unusual play stuff in the work that I do and the coaching that I do. And, you know, what are we really missing in our culture? What is it that, that shut me down and what are so many of us missing is this ability as even teenagers and, and adults right. to play I was, I was and have that play mentality to anything. That, that yeah. Be a close relationship between the messiness that you talked about and this play. Yes. Thing. <laughs> exactly. Yes. In order to play, you have to w be willing to be messy yeah. to real. And in order to be messy, you kind of have to be, so you have to play. And we have so shut that down. Um, you know, by the time kids are like nine years old, they're getting messages that, oh, they shouldn't be playing with that toy or that toy. And um, and then by the time, you know, we're adults, we have no clue how to do that. And it, it seems to me that the people that I work with who have a lot of fear and anxiety, and that's a lot of it, the people who are just, you know, have no sense of what they want to do, the people who are under a lot of pressure to achieve but don't know how to do it, companies and individuals who are experiencing pressure to innovate you know everybody wants to innovate but if we can't just let ourselves go and play around physically emotionally mentally perhaps even spiritually and certainly intellectually we can't you can't force innovation and you can't force joy so 
I feel like I have um, both that personal experience in mul on multiple levels um, and and then the, the credit, quote unquote credibility to, to go around and go, you know what, I can help you learn how to do this. Um, so I have actually this idea, you know, it's what I've realized is I finally have permission to just dream whether I do it or not, whatever. Right. Um, but it, because something will come out of that, but I have this cool, if I had all the money in the world, I had, I was dating a guy who was quite wealthy and he kept saying, if you had all the money in the world, what would you do? And I was like, well, I'm not even going to answer that because see, I never have very much money. I won't even let myself go there and I finally went hey like, let me just set money aside let, let's 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 lose that boundary and that narrative for a moment and just dream and uh so if I had all the money in the world and maybe you know whatever you get an idea we'll see how that emerges right I would I would both do the play thing around the world um where needed and then I I want to create this institute of play where people can come and it's like amazing people who, you know, it would be a, a range of people from all kinds of different disciplines and area. I don't even like that word disciplines, right? Um, to help people play again, physically, emotionally in the, in business, you know, arenas, et cetera. And I would, I would have, um, I would create the, the building, not going to call it a structure, create the grounds, the playground, um, bring in people to say and, and say to them, if you, again, if time and money were no object, what would be the most perfect music studio ever? So if you think about typical music studios with materials that have existed so far, they're so ugly. They're the opposite of, yeah. of creativity. You know, you're blocked off from the world. Everything's ugly. There's like shag carpet even on the, you know, on the, on the, the walls and the ceilings. It's like you're crazy. And I'm pretty certain that with materials today, you could create something that had it was beautiful and inspiring and fun, really, really fun, and also best practices and best technology for, for music. Same with dance studios, art studios, uh, business stuff, right? So if you, what would be the perfect uh, space to create for all of these different things like we've never seen before? Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, and then we then I see what actually happens, you know, and whatever version of that is OK, because having the vision and having the dream is that's most of it for me. Right. And, and um, not feeling embarrassed or shameful if I don't execute on that, because I don't have to execute on everything. You know, I, I think of a new invention like every couple days and, and people look at me and they're like, OK, well, there's another weird one. you know, <laughs> And and I don't care because that's what gives meaning to my life and joy. That's great. And that's, I think what you're talking about is along similar lines to why I record Dead Man's Forest up in the forest yes. is because I can't imagine sitting in a in the box of a recording studio, which you're just like enclosed in. It just shrinks you in on yourself, whereas the kinds of things that I want to talk about here are expansive and they're bigger than us. And yes. Yeah. Like play is yes. Right along those lines. So that's really awesome. Oh, yeah. It's it's so fun to talk about, you know, and see where it goes. Yeah. And we will see where it goes. You can follow along with Nancy's activities on her website, nancybuffington.net, and with her band, The Soulmates, on thesoulmatesboise.com. I think the thing that struck me most about Nancy's story is how integrated it all was from her 
childhood that was driven by fear and a desire to conform and please, which took her through most of her adulthood and a marriage and children and a career to realizing that that was not being true to herself, to rediscovering the play and the fear and the messiness that was in fact modeled for her as a child by her father, but which for some reason she was never able to see when she was younger. All of that you can see recurring again and again in her life. And now you can sense the true pleasure that she gets from putting herself out there in the world and not necessarily knowing what the result is going to be, but trusting that it will be something that she will love because it's her life. I hope that you got something out of my conversation with Nancy, that it, it spoke to you in a way that makes you reflect on your life and, and consider changing some things and taking the steps to do so if you feel the need. Thank you, Nancy, for having a conversation with me and with my listeners. And as always, listeners, if you have any thoughts about it, you can reach out to me on my website, deadmansforest.org. There's a contact form down at the bottom. I would love to hear any thoughts that you have, and I would be happy to pass them on to Nancy. Or if you are interested in sharing some of the lessons that you've learned over the course of your life, I would love to hear from you. I want to give you a heads up about what you can expect to hear from Dead Man's Forest in the next few weeks. This is interesting to me because I, this is the first time that I have had enough content queued up to give you this kind of anticipation. Next week I'll be up in the mountains again recording my thoughts on the last few weeks, the conversations that I've had and the lessons that I've learned and things that I've written down and rolled around in my mind, both on my own and and after reflecting upon the conversations that I had with John and Stephen and Nancy. And in the couple weeks after that, I will be sharing with you a fascinating conversation that I had with my friend Jason about his master's thesis, which is all about how our Western civilization interacts with the environment and what the environment is, what our place, I hesitate to use the word place, but I don't know of a better one, what our place in it is as human beings. It was a very challenging conversation. Jason is a very intelligent person, and you'll hear that in in different parts, but I hope that you look forward to the next few weeks as I look forward to sharing some of those thoughts with you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being special. Bye-bye.